Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Welcome to the Content Experience Show. Usually, I get to say that it's Randy with Anna by my side, but Anna is off on an airplane today. So it was just myself with someone who I was really excited to chat with, Noah Breyer. I know these guys at Percolate. I run into them pretty much at every event I see out there. Uh, they're very much invested in the content world and solving for a very different problem, though, than my company does at Uberflip. So it's interesting just to hear Noah's perspective on, first of all, what is content marketing? I mean, it's such a loaded term, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast, this idea of where does content marketing start and where does it end? But what I, what I found most interesting that, that we got to hit on is this idea of bottlenecks. It's a term that Noah traces back. I think it was Gartner or Forrester, definitely an analyst. Uh, and you'll dig in and you'll kind of hear how he suggests first, how to identify when we have a bottleneck. But I think even more importantly, in the second half of the show is how do we overcome some of these bottlenecks? And what are some of the very basic things that we can do to make sure that we don't make the mistakes to just go down the track of saying we need more people or we need an agency brought in? I love agencies and I love partners but there's no sense in layer on more human capital on a very inefficient process. And I think that's one of the key findings that came out of the podcast today. I'm very confident you'll enjoy listening to this one. We did miss Anna. If you're listening, Anna, next time we got to have you on with us, but let's roll this. We'll go right into this one with Noah Breyer, CEO, or sorry, CTO at Percolate. Welcome, Noah. I'm so excited for us to get this opportunity to hang out together. It's amazing in the world of content marketing that we've never really connected. But with Anna not even here today, it's just the two of us to really dig in and help people understand what content marketing is together. Uh, we're both big advocates for this space, and you've been doing a great job at Percolate. So maybe before describing what Percolate does, tell us about your journey starting Percolate and how, how you're solving for customers. Sure thing. Yeah. So um, we started Percolate in 2011. My background, I spent a lot of time in the world of agencies and I was sort of seeing these two big problems. On one side, uh, the challenge of how do you translate strategy to execution? So I was working with these big brands on how to create global communication strategies. What would happen is we'd spend a lot of time putting it together, become a PowerPoint that would then go in people's desk drawers, so to speak. And I just kept thinking there's got to be a better way. Strategy is an attempt to codify ways for people to work and We've got to be able to actually put that in code. On the other side, I was just seeing this challenge of brands creating more and more content and not enough tools to actually help them in the process of creating it. 
right? And so when we looked at the landscape back in 2011, and you know, I still think in a lot of ways today, uh, we saw a lot of tools that were very focused on the end, uh, on the distribution of that content, um, and just not enough to help brands in the the creation and the management of it. And so, you know, what Percolate is today in a lot of ways is a little bit like Jira for content marketing. So it's it's helping brands manage the whole process of creating the campaigns and content and assets they need to drive effective marketing forward. That's great. And, and it's a, it's a helpful overview. It's funny. It's funny the timing. I, I we were chatting about when you started the company in 2011, we started Uberflip in 2012. And I, I don't know if, if I'm oversensitive to this, but it, at the time when we started, we felt like we had missed that boat to help with creation. We felt like companies like yourselves and some others were already digging in deep there, had some cool solutions. So we actually wanted to figure out what would come next after that, which, you know, we refer to as the experience, but you know, you're solving for such an important part in organizations, which is creation. And there's, there's this term that you've mentioned to me, this idea of of a bottleneck that sometimes happens in organizations. And, you know, I, I think for some of us, we just think, okay, well, we'll just pump out as much content as we can, but you're working with some really large organizations. Where, where do you see that bottleneck happen the most? The bottleneck, actually, I, I'm not the one who came up with this. This came from a, a Gartner 2018 predictions at the end of last year. And they said that by 2020, content is going to be marketing's biggest bottleneck. I just thought, you know, I mean, obviously, it sort of aligns with the thesis that we have. But I also thought it was sort of a particularly interesting set of words that they chose. And, and I spent a lot of time thinking about the bottleneck and talking to customers about it. When it sort of really broke down, what I heard from folks was that the bottleneck in their organizations really kind of came in, it manifested in one of three ways. So it, in, on one side, you had this quantity bottleneck, which is that, you know, there are a lot of folks who are simply, they need more content and they don't know how to make that happen. They don't know how to turn the organizational wheels and the process wheels um, to just get more out of their, their org. There's another set that say, we have enough content, but it just needs to be better. It's not high quality enough, and that's a quality bottleneck. And then there's this third that actually, this one came from customers. I was sitting at a a customer advisory board when I I was first kind of workshopping this theory and presentation I was doing. And uh, I originally only had the quantity bottleneck and the quality bottleneck. And they, they said to me, well, no, it doesn't really feel like we have either of those. We have lots of good content. Our problem is that it, it just never seems to get to where it needs to get to at the time it needs to get there. And they talked about it as a coordination bottleneck. That was the thing I just kept hearing over and over again, that they had this coordination bottleneck. I thought that was fascinating. I heard it from big B2B tech companies, B2B software. Um, I heard it from B2B industrial. They all seem to feel the same way. And and actually, one of the things I've been working on lately is spending a lot of time thinking about what is it about those companies? What do they have in common? What is it about B2B, large B2B marketing organizations that that kind of creates that coordination bottleneck? Because um, I think there are some interesting commonalities. But that's really the bottleneck is in that front part of the process. And, you know, Gardner actually says, they say the bottleneck kind of came to be because marketers have done such a good job of implementing things like marketing automation and different parts of managing the customer experience that now the challenge is how do you create all the content to fill those spaces, right? Um, Because we can do better personalization. We can place content in more places. And so that's really been what we mean when we talk about the bottleneck, or that's what Gardner means when they talk about the bottleneck. And that's that's something I've spent a lot of time thinking about and continue to because it's it seems to be a sort of fruitful area for conversation and for thinking with customers. 
It's really interesting. First off, I, I like those three different buckets between quantity, quality, and the last one really caught me because I, I often hear people talk about the quantity and quality debate and how do you handle that. But the coordination, I think, is is probably the part that ensures the first two happen properly. And it's 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 funny, kind of two real life things that happened to me today. One was I sat a, a couple hours this morning in a customer meeting with one of our, our large organizations and they were talking to an agency that we brought in to help them with some of the scale issues that they're having. And, and they kind of put it this way. They're like, you know, we wanted to be at that executive table more and more. And now that we're there, we're kind of like, what did we ask for? Right. And yeah. it's, it's that overwhelming feeling of all these asks. And the second story there is during our weekly town hall that we do with our company, I got up and I walked people through how we're handling the fact that we just have this huge backlog of requests when it comes not just to content, when we when we think about it from a blog post or, or video perspective, but like everything to us is content in some way, right? Like if, if we're doing, you know, collateral for an event or we're doing, you know, designs for, you know, a Facebook ad or, or what have you. And, and just explaining to people in our own organization that challenge and how we're going to handle requests going forward. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, when do you when do you realize when do companies realize they have this or do all companies have this bottleneck and they just they don't know it? I think all companies have some bottlenecks, right? And whether they have a content bottleneck is probably dependent on on how they handle it. I've there's definitely some companies that feel it less. Like there are companies who, for all intent and purposes, outsource all of their problems to agencies, and so they they might not feel it in quite the same way. I think you see it more in B two B than you see it in B two C, um, though it's certainly not exclusive. But you know, I think to your point, we feel this the same way. You know, we've been driving down the road of doing more account based marketing, and as you do more account based marketing, mm-hmm. you add more segments. Then all of a sudden, you know, what used to be one piece of content is now three pieces of content or five pieces of content, right? Because you need to do it in a verticalized manner. So I I think that most modern organizations feel it in some way. And certainly every company feels a bottleneck inside their their organization. And, you know, in fact, one of the things I I spent a lot of time this year digging into (laughs) supply chain theory, which uh, uh, sounds less exciting than I found it to be, (laughs) I'll say. One of the books I ran across, a book called The Goal, um, which is kind of a, a classic supply chain. It's about about factories, but it's all about bottlenecks. Um, And in fact, it's all about this idea of the theory of constraints and how do you avoid constraints. And the the big kind of thesis of the book is that if you're not dealing with your bottlenecks, you're just kind of wasting your time. Because the real definition of a bottleneck is that it's something that constrains everything that happens after it, right? It constrains all the downstream uh, systems. Because naturally, if you think about a bottleneck on your beer bottle or wine bottle, it it's the thing that slows down the flows you can pour it in the glass. If it wasn't there, it would be really hard to keep control of. And so, you know, I think bottlenecks happen in every process, in every company. It's something you're constantly tweaking. I think within marketing, the challenge is that we dealt with the bottleneck that was our ability to actually kind of deliver messages to distribute things. And now the bottlenecks moved up in the process, right? It's moved to the point of creation. That's what Gardner says. And how do you deal now with that? How do you how do you approach the bottleneck? So theory of constraints is kind of one approach to the problem. And essentially it says you take these five steps. Um, it's called the five focusing steps. But you go through and you basically figure out what your constraint is or your bottleneck. That's step one. And so, you know, in the case of content, that would be is it a 
quantity bottleneck? Do you have a quality bottleneck? Do you have a coordination bottleneck? If we're talking about the process for dealing with incoming requests, you know, it sounds like it's probably more of a, a coordination bottleneck, but it might also be a quantity one, right? Like if you're not getting the things to the team that needs to get there. The second one is you figure out basically how to optimize it. You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how you optimize bottlenecks. One of my, my favorite ways to think about it is if you take you take all the steps, if you know, we go for the inbound request process, that's something we hear from customers all the time. Again, we see it inside our own organization too. The sales team asks us for lots of stuff. We run it through Percolate. That process of optimization is a big part of it. And one of the ways I like to think about that is if you take all the steps down that exist within that. So you say, okay, what are the, what's the process for actually dealing with an inbound request? What are the steps we go through? And you look at them and you say, you know, what are the strategic steps? Like what are the steps that actually kind of take thinking and what are the, the kind of automatic steps? Like somebody just needs to get this to the right person. Right. And for all those automatic steps, you just, you basically have to crunch that time down as much as possible, right? That's a sort of super, super important key to dealing with those is taking all those, I call them low variant steps, um, but they're really the ones that are, are kind of just the administrative acts and you need to figure out how to do those efficiently as possible because that's, a, you, you know, there's some limit to the thinking part of it and how efficient you could ever do it. You know, you need to create a new bit of sales material for the sales team. They need to do presentation or a one sheeter. It's going to take some thinking and you can only constrain that thinking as much as you can. So yeah. I, I want to just pause you there because yep. we, we got to take a, a short break to hear from some, some sponsors, but then I want to, I want to dig a little deeper because I, I feel like we hit on the why really well, but I, I want to get deeper into like, how do we solve for this? We'll, we'll hear from our, some of our sponsors on the Connect show. and We'll be right back with Noah Breyer. Hi, friends. This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, reminding you that this show, the Connect Show podcast, is brought to you by Uberflip, the number one content experience platform. Do you ever wonder how content experience affects your marketing results? Well, you can find out in the first ever content experience report, where Uberflip uncovers eight data science-backed insights to boost your content engagement and your conversions. It's a killer report, and you do not want to miss it. Get your free copy right now at uberflip.com slash connex show report. That's uberflip.com slash connex show report. And the show is also brought to you by our team at Convince and Convert Consulting. If you've got a terrific content marketing program, but you want to take it to the very next level, we can help. Convince and Convert works with the world's most iconic brands to increase the effectiveness of their content marketing, social media marketing, digital marketing, and word of mouth marketing. Find us at Convince and Convert. Com. This episode is brought to you by TechSmith. TechSmith makes it easy to create professional videos and images. With their tools like Snagit and Camtasia, everyone can create custom screenshots, screencasts, and videos, and you really need no experience to do so. You can use Snagit to capture results displayed on your screen and share them out as screenshots and screencasts. Or if you need videos and you don't have the production team, Camtasia is an all-in-one screen recorder and video editor designed for those who've never made a video before. It's never been so easy to do this stuff if you have TechSmith. And for those who are Connex podcast listeners, they can get a 10% off when you buy Camtasia and snag it as a bundle. Simply go to TechSmith.com and use this, the promo code SOCIALPROS. 
Welcome back to Connex Show. Noah, this has been great so far. I feel like we've unpacked the why of a bottleneck and we've just started to hit on how to break it. Um, but, you know, when I think of breaking bottlenecks too often, and I'll admit to be the guilty one here, I often think, okay, well, we got to just hire more or maybe we got to go external and, and bring an agency in who can help us, which, you know, I love agencies. I love partners, but sometimes too quickly, we're like, we just need more manpower. Uh, but I, I, I hope you can kind of shed some light on like just how, in, in your words, on the coordination side, we can just be more efficient, more lean. If you step back for a second and just say, what's a bottleneck? You know, what you're pointing out is that a, a bottleneck is constraining your capacity, right? And so there's a good way to unconstrain your capacity is to just add more of it, um, whether it's more people or you add an agency. And, and, you know, that is certainly one effective way of doing that. But if you don't want to spend more money, you need an alternative approach. And, and that's really what this theory of constraints, as an example, is all about, or any of these kind of supply chain theories, right, is not how do I expand the size of my factory, it's how do I figure out where my bottlenecks are and how do I do things to make them more efficient. So, you know, one really good example of, of how you do that in, from a process standpoint is that you move quality control up right before the bottleneck. So if you are working in a factory, this is kind of a classic thing. So, you know, if you make cars, for instance, then your bottleneck might be how long it takes paint to dry, literally, when you paint the car. That means you want to make sure that you check to make sure the car is of high quality before you put the paint on, right? Because paint is going to be your bottleneck. If you work in marketing, I think one of the big points here is that your bottleneck is your creation process, right? It's the number of people you have or the number of agencies you have, whoever it is, to actually create the content that needs to go out the door. And one of the really good ways to move quality in front of that is to do a better job with briefs, right? And you know, even if we go back to the example you gave earlier about fulfillment and requests, it's still how well defined is the problem and do we agree on what needs to be solved? So you know, when I think about what is a brief, what is a good brief for content, um, it clearly lays out what the problem is to be solved. You agree on the basics, right? You agree on what is the strategy, we're aligned, and then it becomes a contract. We both agree that nothing else will be added to this. You're not going to tell me afterwards that you hate the color yellow and you wish I hadn't used it in any of the content I produced. And in exchange, I'm going to produce the thing that we talked about. And so that's why briefs matter. And I think that's one kind of interesting way of dealing with the bottleneck is that you you do a better job. So you know, if you're talking about how you process requests, one of the ways you do that is you create the intake request process, right? You put a form together. Lots of organizations have this. There are lots of tools that can do this. You put an intake request form in place. That intake request then comes from sales or it comes from product. It comes from wherever it needs to. And then it goes to marketing and the marketing team deals with it. It has all the requirements. That's, that's one good way of kind of putting a version of quality control before your bottleneck so that you're not spending any cycles doing thing that ultimately is going to get thrown away. That's the thing that you're trying to avoid if you want to act more efficiently, is you want to avoid any rework or wasted work. I love that example slash strategy. And, and too often I, I see that breakdown. Even, even here at times on our own team, uh, you know, I had one of our newer content creators, you know, there's a number of months ago, and they they went to write a piece for one of our partner sites where we we're going to get a piece of content posted. And 
when I read it, you know, just before it was going to be passed over, I said, you know, this is for the wrong, it's a great piece, but that's not the audience over there. And, and to your point, had we had more of a brief from someone to say, here's who the audience is, writer from that lens, not only would we have gotten that piece out faster, but this writer in this case could have moved on to that next piece sooner, I believe is your point, which is such a, a simple approach to efficiency. Uh, any other tips that you can give us here? Yeah, I want to hit on the point you just made too, because I also think it's a really important example because the pushback a lot of the times on process can be that it hurts creativity. And so, you know, your example of, of this writer, what really hurts creativity is feeling good about something you did and then getting it thrown away. <laughs> that is the most hurtful. As somebody who was a copywriter at one point, a creative director, I can tell you that like going through the hard work and feeling proud of something I did only to find out that I hadn't been fully briefed um, or that you know some piece had changed and now I need to throw away the work, that is the biggest creative killer. And so you know, I think that that's a, a big and important point is that creativity and process and systems, they shouldn't be at odds, right? They are ways to get more out of everything. And, and I think creativity can get better by adding better process and by, by having a better sort of contract that exists at that point. So um, I just wanted to make sure I hit on that because that is one piece of pushback I hear often on kind of thinking about process and thinking about systems in marketing. And, and it, it couldn't be further from the truth in, in my own experience, both as a, a creator and as somebody who's, who's worked with brands. That's, that's great advice. I, I couldn't agree more on that. So, you know, we've only got a few more minutes left on, on this segment and, and I still want to keep you around after to get you to get to know you a little bit better as we always do. But one area that you and I were chatting about just before the show was, and I'd love to get your take on this is the reallocation or redistribution of content marketing as a term, right? Because it's a term that both you and I agree is, is, often confused as to what it means. I'm really intrigued by what G2 Crowd recently did, which is they said, okay, it is confusing. And especially when it comes to the software side, where I'm sure there's things that Percolate does and Uberflip does as an example that may overlap. But for the most part, many of our customers would use both or, or for different use cases. And what they went and did is, is created a few different buckets for content marketing you know, around creation, experience, and distribution. And I'm wondering, you know, how you think of that term content marketing? You know, what what should it stand for? Or what does it come to stand for? Sure, yeah. I think that part of the challenge here is that it's that word content, right? And I think a lot of people have a lot of different opinions. I actually wrote a piece uh, a month or two ago putting my perspective out there that content is a perfectly good word. But I think I think we have to start there. I think part of the confusion in this space is that as brands and marketing has shifted to being digital, um, we needed a word to describe the broader set of marketing outputs than just advertising, which I think for many people meant purely, you know, putting a message in a space that was paid for, right? That that box could be a banner ad, it could be a television, it could be a billboard, but that was an advertisement, I think, as most people came to understand it. So to me, content is this sort of, uh, it's the meta bucket, like advertising is a kind of content, but content is not necessarily a kind of advertising, if that makes sense. So I think we have to kind of start there. And I think the confusion just lies in the fact that we're seeing more and more more marketing energies being sort of spread out across the broad realm of different 
channels and and content types. Um, so content marketing to me at this point is in a lot of ways synonymous with marketing, which is maybe helpful, maybe it's not. You know, I think that the the split that they have, which is the creation, distribution, and uh, experience, is an interesting one. I, I struggle with some of the sort of language around those things. I, I One of my favorites is the way that Forrester is describing MRM. So uh, they have their MRM category and, and they're saying it's kind of made up of content, brand, people, and money. I know maybe this is less helpful because content is sort of in and of itself a, a whole segment. But I think what we're seeing is sort of there's not clean edges around these different things. So I think distribution is certainly a clear piece. It's not totally clear to me the di- differentiation between distribution and experience because I think a lot of the time people mean the same thing when they're talking about those. Um, you know, the experiences ultimately being you know what happens to the content after it starts to live in the world. Um, you know, I think the the, we talk about it a lot as upstream. I don't think this is a, a term that you know um, would be used by by the analysts. But you know, I think the way they're using creation is a lot of how we talk about upstream, which is you know the planning, the ideation, the creation, the approvals, all the things that happen before a piece of content is ready to live out in the world. Um, you know, so I guess to my mind, there's a bunch of different ways of cutting this. And I think, you know, I think the reality of what we're going to see for the immediate future in in the sort of MarTech space broadly, uh, you know, in content marketing specifically is a continued sort of spilling over between the different categories, whether it's digital asset management, content marketing platforms, experience. And, and you know, to me, the best point of demarcation is, does it display, you know, is it responsible for the delivery. I think the distribution is very clear. Is it responsible for the the delivery of something? Is it showing something to a customer or consumer? That's a a really clear distinction between the sort of what happens upstream and what happens downstream. That to me is a good one. I think as you go into the rest of it, it's it's you know I think it's still really got to 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 work itself out. Gartner put out their MRM 2.0. Uh, they didn't have a, a full report yet, but they put out their kind of thoughts on MRM 2.0, and they talked about it as you had work management, which is the the sort of work that goes into the to the the content of marketing. You had asset management, and then you had performance management. Those were the sort of three pieces. So, right. you know, I I don't know that there's a single answer yet. You know, I I saw the G2 crowd point of view, I, I think, you know, there's still a lot of confusion here. And I, I think the confusion is just because marketing is in this transition, right? Where, where you know, I think the good news for those of us on the content marketing side is that, you know, it seems clear content is the future, um, you know, and our definition, which is, you know, pretty broad, seems like it's where marketing is moving. But I think it's going to take a little longer for us to figure out or for the analysts to figure out kind of how to best set boundaries around the space for the purposes of uh, technology buying. Really, really interesting perspective. And I, I think uh, with that that loaded answer that could be unpacked for hours, we're going to have to cut it there for people to kind of dwell on uh, because our time here is pretty much up. I will get you to stick around though, Noah. We'll take a brief pause here and then we'll be back just to learn a little bit more about Noah and everything behind the scenes of Percolate. 
Hey, Noah, thanks a lot for sticking around. So we, we got to hear your story of how you started Percolate, you know, where you spend a lot of your work time focused. But we always like to get to know people's passions, what keeps them ticking, what keeps them you know, going when they're outside of that work environment. So one of my go-to questions on this, uh, this part of the show is, you know, ties back to podcasts, but from a different angle, not the podcasts you listen and things like that, but I'm going to put you on, on, on the hot seat here. If you were to do a podcast on any topic that's just purely a passion of yours, side passion, it can't be content marketing, it can't be workflow management, what would your topic be? Like, is, is there a sport that you follow? Is there, you know, some sort of, you know, hobby that you have of a collectible? What would you do? And like, what type of guests would you love to have on that show? Yeah, you already stole the content marketing podcast, so I can't give that one, I guess. <laughs> so I, I'm a, a big NBA fan, but can't say I spend enough time with the NBA to uh, uh, make that my answer. Really, I, I'm a nerd, um, and one of my passions for the last couple of years, and I'm actually working on a, a book about this, is uh, mental models. Um, so I am fascinated by the kind of frameworks people use for making decisions. Mental models, the idea, I first ran into it because Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's business partner, he, he gave a speech, a famous speech in the 90s, where he talked about how he and Buffett make all their decisions using 100 mental models. Um, and that's sort of how their whole view of the world. And so, you know, I think my, my dream podcast would be talking about mental models with folks from a variety of fields and understanding kind of how, what can you learn from psychology? What can you learn from physics? What can you learn from art? And what and how can you interpret in how can you take in their models and start to use them in your own decision making on a day to day basis? So, um, you know, that's something I've been spending a lot of time thinking about. Actually, something I've been writing about a lot on my own personal blog and doing research on these different um, mental models that exist and, and how they can be utilized inside organizations. So that'll probably be my choice. Very cool. Well, we, we can't not hit the big question, though, that you, you kind of tucked within there, which is. What NBA team do you do you cheer for? I mean, from what I know, you're in New York, so you've got some choice. But I don't know where you're really from. I am a Knicks fan. It's going through some, some tough years. Some tough it's years. Mostly been suffering, but um, we've won a couple games here uh, over the last couple of weeks, and uh, and you know, hopefully, hopefully things are looking up. Nice. Maybe, maybe they just need a better mental model to their game, right? Couldn't resist. All right. Well, Noah, thanks so much. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. Where, where should people go to learn more about yourself and or Percolate? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you can find out more about Percolate at percolate.com. As for me, I'm Hey, It's Noah on Twitter, and I blog occasionally at noahbriar.com. Amazing. Thanks so much. Uh, on behalf of usually Anna Harak and the Convincing for a team, just me today, it's Randy from Uberflip. It's been great to have everyone choose us as part of your podcast listening. If you've enjoyed, please check out other episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much anywhere where you can find your podcasts. And especially when you can leave us feedback, please do. Until next time, thanks to Noah and thank you to all of you for tuning in. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. 
The content experience at show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.